0: Welcome to the Guitar Omni podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your master class in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com. Or see Carl Woolwind guitarist on Facebook. So we are here with David Leisner, and um, to me, David is a a man that needs no introduction. Um, I know that. When I was a student and a young man, he was one of the, the legendary figures and it was, it was quite a pleasure to, to meet him for the first time when I was in graduate school. I, David, I think I played for you at least twice over the years and I knew that you had a long standing relationship with John and, and the Cleveland Institute of Music and my friend Jim Bonney studied with you at Bowdoin for the chamber music thing there. And I think, I think actually I think Jason did that once too, didn't he? Yes,
1: yes Jason was also my student for a summer. Right. And yes, I, I remember teaching you at John Holmquist's uh, yeah. uh, class at Cleveland Institute. Yes, indeed.
0: And and we also Mostly crossed paths ago. here in, in in Columbus when the Guitar Society hosted you um, when when you made your triumphant return to the yes. concert stage. So that was that was that was a very exciting <laughs> yes. thing. I thought you know I I I don't you had just started playing again, um, you know and uh-huh. and and the. Uh, the buzz on the street was that uh, you know you 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 sounded better with two fingers than most of us could with four, and it was it was fantastic. It was great, and it was just such a great experience, you know. Like because I I think when you weren't playing, um, you know, everybody that 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 uh, I knew and everybody that I had talked to saw saw your removal from the concert world as quite a quite a huge void, you know. So it was it was really it was really something else, and I think everybody was was really behind you when when that when that happened. So. But, uh, Yeah.
1: Thank you. Well, it was great so, to come back. I mean, I suffered from focal dystonia for twelve years, and then you know was because of the work that I did, uh, kind of pioneering work on using large muscles. I uh, you know I totally cured myself in nineteen ninety six. So since then, it's a hundred percent. That's that's amazing. Knocking that's on absolutely wood. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> now,
0: did did you find? Um, did you find that you did you like retool your entire technique, or, or were there things that you kept? Or? No,
1: no, I kept I kept everything in my technique, okay. but I but I applied something new that that I never knew about, which was engaging the largest muscles, right. uh, muscles that I eventually discovered were in the armpit area. Oh my gosh! Um, but uh, bef- be up to that time. Um, when I had the focal dystonia as you can imagine I went to many many different practitioners of various sorts and showed them what I was doing and they all said that that my technique was anatomically perfect there was nothing wrong with it so there was nothing to change there was something to add which they didn't know about and which I certainly didn't know about and that was the engaging of the larger muscles and how did you discover that? Well, I took a cue from uh, my colleague at the time, shortly before he retired from teaching, and he was Neil Anderson at the New England Conservatory. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, Neil had the beginnings of an idea of using larger muscles when he was playing, and I was sitting in on a class that he, was, he did with a student at NEC, and uh, he was having the student uh, do these very large motions, Uh, uh, with his right hand to pluck a string in order Mm. to get him to engage the larger muscles. And uh, it really was just the beginning of an idea uh, and yet I recognized something that might be appropriate for me in my condition. So I took that idea home with me and I started experimenting with it and lo and behold, within a few minutes, I already started to see some improvement, which was that quick astonishing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, it wasn't wasn't like I was fixed. I mean, it took right. me four years after yeah. that moment to fix myself, but <laughs> but it was the beginning, you know, and then I I took the ball and ran with it, so to speak, and refined those ideas and discovered all kinds of nuance and many, many areas which I knew nothing about until that time. So I Amazing. just basically followed my instinct and used the knowledge that I had pre-dystonia as well as the knowledge that I gleaned from the various practitioners that I visited over the over the early right. years of it. Um, because I learned a lot from them, though none of them even came close to helping me. Um, Uh, And one of them even did me damage, but never mind. Oh, my Uh, God. You know, I did learn something from everybody, even that person. Right. Right. So using that knowledge plus the knowledge that I had already, plus my just instinct, which turns out to be very good with these physical kinds of conditions, um, I cured myself. And have been curing other people ever since then. Tremendous,
0: tremendous. So, yeah, that was, that's the next thing I was going to ask you: is is have you had like a flock of people come to you saying, "Help me," you know? Yes. That's because I mean, I know, I know that the 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 is it a malady? What do we call it? It's a condition, right? It's, a condition, it's, I guess. Yeah, I know it's it's not it's not uncommon
1: amongst those of us who oh. play guitar. Oh, it's extraordinarily know. common. No, I mean, there were there were many many years when I would get emails at least twice a week from somebody new who had vocal dystonia looking for help. And I have worked with a lot of people. I have cured some. I have helped most of them. There have been a few that I have not been able to help at all. Um, That's actually pretty rare. Uh, Virtually everybody I've been able to at least help somewhat. And um, so it's... It, it's it's been a journey, and of course, you know, as time goes on, I get better and better at it, and right. uh, understand more and more what people need uh, yeah. to to get out of this miserable condition. So, uh, <laughs> and, it, it, and it's
0: and uh, it's painless if I understand it right. It's just it's, yes, it's, it's, it's a loss
1: of function. That's correct. It's the only right. painless condition that we know for, amongst uh, musicians' injuries, uh, where the fingers usually curl into the palm. Without control, sometimes they even extend outwards. Um, but, um, yeah. And is it, it progressive? Is it something that, that you can see
0: early signs of and people just don't notice it and then it, it progresses over time?
1: Yeah. It, it has, it u- usually has some kind of early signs that are not all that subtle, actually, but they're more really? subtle than what happens as it develops. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird condition, you know, it's, yeah. it's a very strange, and it, you know, since there is no um, clear um, body of knowledge or clear master of this condition in the world, you know, somebody who knows all the answers of yes. how to cure it, um, there are a lot of questions about it, a lot of, lot of uh, ignorance about it, a lot of misinformation about it, and um, and there are a few of us in the world who have had uh, some success uh, with curing it. Nobody's had mostly success. There's not a single right. person that I know of in the world that's been like that. But some have had more than others, and that's a good thing. But I would say it's still in its infant stages in terms of sure. understanding how to really cure this condition. Have, and have you... also, sorry, I would just also say that um, There's been an understanding in the performing arts medicine community uh, that this is a neurological condition. And it's my very strong feeling that it begins as a muscular condition. It begins as a muscular condition. I feel very strongly about that. Interesting. And it may develop into a neurological condition as well because nerves and muscles and brain also are all interconnected. But Absolutely. I strongly believe that it begins as a muscular condition, and Interesting. the Interesting. neurological thing is a more advanced aspect to it. So if somebody okay. comes to me without, where where it hasn't evolved too much into the neurological stage, then I can probably fix them. Uh, then the neurological thing is much more mysterious, um, and there are people who who have had some success with that. Then uh, there's one very brilliant person in in San Francisco who not a lot of people know about who does work on the brain aspects of it. Nancy Bill is her name. Very interesting work that she's done. But again, like everybody else, uh, right. she doesn't always have success. Uh, I don't. We, we often send each other patients when we, we don't know what to do with the one you know, we have right. um, because uh, there's all kinds of ways to approach this, and uh, we're still very much in the infant stages of understanding. Is it that. is it something that we see in, in other populations than musicians? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Well, certainly, certainly, musicians. It is rampant yeah. in the musical yeah. community. Uh, yes, there are other um, people outside of music that that do have this or something similar, and then there are also other kinds of dystonia. Uh, okay. people, people have strange tics in their eyes or their neck or okay. their shoulder, or their, their, those are actually more common than you might think. Huh. Um, so uh, th- there is a lot of dystonia in the world, unfortunately. It's, un- it's unfortunate because there's it's it, all forms of dystonia are very mysterious to yeah. to medical and other kinds of practitioners. Huh. Now I
0: how often, how often do or do you ever run into a situation where you're teaching a beginner? Um, is that does that happen much in your life these days? I don't. I never teach a beginner. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason the reason the reason I'm asking is I, I'd be curious how you would. With with what you know about this, and, and, and you know, you know things that, that I don't want to say cause it, but you know, you know mm-hmm. things that can, can can contribute to it. You know, yes. if if you were teaching a beginner, how would you how would you lay down the the, the foundation so as to to avoid this? Is it well, just the the, the issue exactly. of
1: working with those larger muscles, placing the the fingers on the yes. string, and using the arm? Yes, um, but I would not teach it at the beginning. Uh, oh, okay. I, I would teach everything else. I would teach all the other rudiments of playing first. Okay. <clears throat> and then um, when when somebody has mastered those things, then I would introduce large you need, you need to establish a level of sensitivity before you start. Yes, not just sensitivity, details. but also just basic good technical foundations Sure, um, that's important to develop those first. The large muscle stuff you can add mm-hmm. on later and probably should add on because right. if you start with the large muscle workings of the arms, then you, you can run into trouble with some of the things that are more basic. So it's better to develop the basic stuff first and then you, then you add this as an yeah. extra um, but very, very important, essential, yeah. extra.
0: Interesting, really interesting. So, and and one last question. I mean, we I, we could talk the entire time about this, I'm sure. But there's yeah. there are many other things that we should we should talk about. I'm Absolutely. Um, yeah. Have you worked with any other
1: instrumentalists that are not guitarists or non musicians? Many. Non-musicians? many. We have. Okay. Many. How so exciting. many. Just as many uh, non guitarists as guitarists. I've, Amazing! I've worked, I've worked with pianists, violinists, cellists, you know, both, both strings, wind players of all sorts, oh, uh, drummers, um, yeah, all kinds of people. Uh, then yes. also various plucked instruments like koto and banjo and oh, dobro, and yeah, <laughs> you no, know, I've worked with all of them, and um, they're all. Um, you know, they all have their individual challenges, and, and as I work with them, as I work with myself, I work intuitively. I work right. on a basis of knowledge that I have to begin with, but then I have to intuit with every student, no matter what instrument they're playing, right. uh, what their needs are, what their issues are. Um, and so, of course, uh, the biggest learning curve has, for me, has to be with in- other kinds of instruments and I, I, I pick it up pretty quickly because I understand the basic principles in my approach. So I just have to figure out, okay, how does that apply to playing their instrument? So very often I'll ask them, well, tell me about oboe playing, tell me about flute playing, what do you need to do it? You know, sort of have them describe to me what their needs are with that instrument. And then I translate it into my understanding of more general anatomical considerations, uh, and then put it together, and it's been very successful. Um, that's amazing. I, you're, yeah, you're you're I mean, just
0: you're helping people all over the place doing doing this. That's that's great. You're you know facilitating I, I, them to be able to to make art and be healthy, and that's that's
1: really fantastic. Thank you. What a, what a I'm thing. I'm very honored and grateful to be able to yeah. do that work. Actually, yeah,
0: it's fantastic. You know, I mean, that's the, um, you know. A huge silver lining not to be you know too too cliched about it but uh Mm -hmm. i mean just fantastic you know from from adversity comes opportunity and all of that and yes great so so you live in manhattan if i'm not mistaken right i do indeed and how, how long have you been been living there
1: uh, since 79, so what is oh that? Oh my gosh. 40, 42 years.
0: Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. And you're, you're not, you're not from New York originally though, right? No, I'm from Los Angeles. Okay, that's, I, I, I couldn't remember, I, I, I was thinking that, but I wasn't sure, yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I lived in L.A. for 17 years of my life. Uh, honestly, never felt totally at home in L.A. Uh, huh. It's a very different kind of place for me, it didn't, yeah. didn't suit me really much at all. Do I like to return to to visit it? Um, And then I went to college in Connecticut at Wesleyan University, and uh, out of college I went briefly to Amherst to the Amherst area for a while because they offered me an adjunct position teaching guitar there, just teaching a few guitar students. And after a couple of years staying there, which I very very much enjoyed, I love that area. I've realized I had to move to New York to make a career cuz otherwise it just wasn't going to happen there there wasn't enough work there. Yeah. Well, not, I mean there was not even work there but you know, there was no <laughs> way to, no way to make a career especially internationally, you know. Right. It just wasn't just wasn't going to happen there and and the and, moment and I moved to New York it's like one thing happened after another it was great. It's a, it's an intense place, yeah. And it it's funny cuz I I always think back
0: I, I considered it I considered going there for, for graduate school and I think I you know I think I was just afraid, you know? And I had I, never been any place like that and I think it intimidated me. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I just don't think I can handle that and, and you know it's dirty and there's too many people and and then when I actually visited New York, I was thinking, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> you know, that was like the dumbest dumbest decision you ever made not to go to New York. You know? Oh, my God. Um, well, but I so, mean, all those things you were worried about. Oh, of course. things that
1: people <laughs> yeah. are worried about here. You know? <laughs> and, and how did you study guitar at Wesleyan? No, I didn't. The, the guitar teachers there, you know, it's funny. Do you mind,
0: mind me asking what year that, that this might have been?
1: Oh, yeah, this was, let's see, uh, I got there in 71, September 71, uh, stayed for two years, then took a year off to study in, in London with uh, Jack, Jack Duart, John Duart. Oh, okay. Uh, and then came back for two years from 74 to 76. Okay. So those and the were, reason
0: I asked that is just at the time, you know, the, the the idea of a of a guitar department in a
1: university setting was was you know there there were not many of them. You know? Well, that's that's exactly what I discovered. I mean, I was a very late starter with classical. I didn't begin classical with any seriousness until I was seventeen, right before I went to school, went to college. Um, but already, you know, I had progressed extraordinarily quickly. And I got to a level where I really felt like I was kind of beyond the guitar teacher there. And right. I didn't feel like this was the person for me to study with. Um, for a while there, at the beginning, I, I hitchhiked every other week for a oh while to Boston to study with a violist, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> a violist <laughs> who, who played the guitar Robert Carroll was his name. He was in the BSO, the Boston Symphony. Wow. Um, yeah, and I uh, I studied with this violist for a while. You know, it didn't amount to many lessons. He was a wonderful man, so kind and so, uh-huh. so helpful in in so many ways. Um, but you know, in in the end, and really from from the beginning, I was basically a self taught person. Right. I. I I just was that way, I still am, both as a guitarist and as a composer. So really, um, amongst the teachers that I studied with, the longest that I studied with anybody was Duart, who I studied with for nine months. Um, And then second longest probably was Carol, Robert Carroll. although I'm not sure... It uh, might be a tie between him and David Starobin, with whom I studied okay. for six weeks at the Bowdoin Festival. Uh, so nine months and six weeks were kind of the there longest that I study with
0: anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I think you've you've leveraged those nine nine months and six weeks into something pretty tremendous. That's amazing. So when when you study with, with, with Jack Dewart, um, did you how often were you taking lessons from him? Uh,
1: once a week. Okay. And, and the lessons would go for two and a half hours every oh time. Oh, my gosh. Right. And and I, I swear to you, there was probably an hour's worth of material in there, and the rest of it was just <laughs> gabbing. And he, he would tell me the best stories about the oh, guitar yeah. world and his opinions about this and that, and he was very... Very generous with his with his time and his thoughts and his philosophy and everything. I mean, it was a, it was a hoot studying with him and such
0: a, he, such a colorful character. Yeah, he
1: was very colorful, a, a wild a wild guy and and uh, <laughs> such a wonderful person in the guitar community and also you know for me a nice model because he was both a guitarist and a composer. Right, and uh, um, I think also just. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was just, just a great person for me. I mean, he was the one who kind of solidified my ideas, especially about left-hand technique. Interesting. But in general, he kind of gave me a sense of system of technique. Right. Sure, but sure. Until before him, I didn't really have any sense of system. I was to- all intuition. Right. And, and he gave me some ideas. And even though I changed some of the ideas along the way, I still had that sense of system. Sure. Which he gave me, uh, and and that is a very important basic thing to give a student. Uh, the same thing was true with the composition teacher that I had in at Wesleyan, uh, Richard Winslow. Uh, Dick gave me a sense of system in writing, and and the importance of system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm very, very grateful to those two for giving me that understanding. Interesting. Hmm. Now, at, at what
0: point in time along this, along this path did you, did you make this decision that, yeah, you wanted to write music as well? And that was, you know, because I, I always think of you, conversations I have with, I've had with you in the past where, you know, you, you, you think of yourself as much. A composer as as a performer as a guitarist you know
1: that's correct um, that's always been the case uh i uh since i was 15 i wrote my first compositions which were pop songs you know pop, oh fantastic folk rock type songs yeah, yeah. Uh, and then i wrote my first classical piece when i started working on classical music more seriously at age 17 so was it a guitar piece it was a guitar piece. Okay, uh, yeah. My first pieces were all guitar pieces, and then okay. I slowly but surely branched out. Right. Um, but yes, I though I most of my time, my actual time, my my physical time, I would say, is spent uh, in my guitar career, playing, teaching, recording, and so on. Um, really, half of the time is spent thinking about it and. Right. Uh, thinking about either the next piece or just just stating ideas that might turn into something that might be the next piece That's, it's i would i would guess i mean i don't
0: i wouldn't say that i have written nearly as much music to where i would even start to talk about myself being a composer but the, the way that i think about it is the the workflow is so much different you know there's so much of that yes kind of percolation that has to take place and, and, it, and it bounces around in your head for a while and, and you nudge it a little bit here, nudge it a little bit there. You know, it's almost like this averted vision kind of thing. And then whereas, you know, your, your guitar practice has to be very active and very directed and, and very disciplined and, you know, it's... That, and, is it's a,
1: that is a beautiful way of saying it. Absolutely right. The composition, the, the creative side of making music as opposed to the recreative side, is very much like a pregnancy. You're, you're sort of, you know, you're kind of pregnant with ideas, you know, and then eventually out it pops.
0: <laughs> uh, I've never been pregnant, but I'll, I'll you know. I, I'll, I guess I'll, I have an analogy. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, And you've, you've written... You've written a lot of music that, that has nothing to do with guitar as well, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Lots and lots of non-guitar music. That's, I mean, that's be... what was the first? What was
1: the first non-guitar piece that you, that you wrote? Well, I mean, you know, what I did was I branched out to various instruments. Like in the beginning, uh, I wrote a piece for violin and guitar. And then, you know, uh, I don't remember exactly what the order was, but then flute and guitar. And then... Right. Uh, cello and guitar, and you know, and then maybe combine violin, cello, and guitar, and flutes, clarinet, and guitar, and you know, so sort of slowly, <laughs> but surely made my way out, squeezing out. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden I was writing string quartets, and then I would be writing uh, piano pieces, and then I'd be writing pieces for uh, voice and piano, and then I'd be writing chamber music with various combinations, and then I'd be writing orchestra pieces. Uh, and so I've I've done all that I've written three orchestra pieces, lots of chamber music, uh, lots of chamber music with guitar as well, uh, a lot of vocal music. Uh, as you can imagine, ah. having had my start as as a singer and a singer songwriter, um, I'm very close to the voice, and there's a huge amount of repertoire that uh, that I've written for the voice. Ah. have you have you written? Have,
0: You've written songs for guitar and voice, yes, right? Yes, a lot. Yeah. Yes, a lot. Have you performed them yourself? Yes, singing, singing, and playing. Not singing, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I, that, that that you know it's it's such a it's such an I don't I don't want to say odd thing. That's not the, odd is the wrong word. Uncommon, maybe. It's it's so unique. You know, like I've seen a, a few people do it, and it always I find it
1: completely mesmerizing. Well, I did do it for a while. When I made my New York debut in 1979 at Merkin Hall, on the program were seven songs by Charles Ives, which I had arranged for voice and guitar. And I oh sang my. and played them. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, and some of that is not easy because, like, one of the songs... Because it's you're Charles playing, Ives. <laughs> you <playing> five <laughs> against seven,
0: right? Right, you know, so, and it's... Uh, it's, and it's Singing in three different keys, <laughs> <laughs> almost. Oh yeah. wow! Fantastic. Yeah. Wow, neat. So, but I love like like, when they, that. Is there a recording of you doing that?
1: Oh wow. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I wonder, did, did I destroy the evidence? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Speaking of recordings of you, yes. there is on YouTube these days, and I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. And I, I don't know. It 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 looks they're not complete performances. It looks like they're promotional um, spots to sell what look like you know VHS tapes from from the Toronto um, competitions.
1: Yes, right. Have you have you seen these on YouTube? Yes, I have, and I've yeah. seen the seen. Yes, I've seen the ones with the, yeah. with the uh, clips of the very of the prize winners, right. including myself, and of yeah. course I had a big afro then. I, I was gonna
0: I was gonna ask you about that,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's
0: it's funny. I I I think I don't know that. Uh, if 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 I had just looked away when your name had flashed across the screen, I'm not sure I would have recognized you. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are those are fun. I I spent I spent a, an afternoon in a rabbit hole going going down to see those. Um, you know, for quite a while, this was was pretty, pretty fun to watch all of that, you know, you know, you, you, you are of the, the generation of guitarists of my teachers, you know, like you're, you're the generation before mine and you know, there was, there was, there was, you know, this, there's all those stories out there about you guys and your heroic deeds and you know, (laughs) who won Toronto when, and, and, you know, what was going on and, and it was just, you know, so it was, it's, 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 it's kind of like, you know, meeting legends, talking to legends for us, and it's, it's, a, it's just nice. an interesting kind of thing. And the, and the world has changed so much, and I think about, you know, your experience, and, and I think about, you know, John had a similar experience in, in terms of coming to classical guitar rather late in his musical career, John mu- musical youth, you know. Yes, yes. And, and the way that he described it was, he said, you know, once he got into it, first of all, he had tremendous instruction from, from Jeff, Yes. And he says, you know, I practiced every day for four years. Like I didn't take a day off ever. I practiced, you know, mm-hmm. several hours every day for four years. And you know, John was brilliant. He's like it just yes, he such was. a such a mind. And you know, it, it's it's again the stuff of legends. Like you, you take that powerful mind and that kind of discipline and dedication and and just all the things come together in the right way and wow
1: what a what a thing you know absolutely just, yeah i miss john very much yeah yeah
0: beautiful beautiful man beautiful man really, you know like wonderful with visit. the those of us that, that were studying at the time in the early 90s um you know we we've we've had we've had some some get-togethers over the over the pandemic time, you know, virtually on Zoom and whatnot, and I think that the consensus is that it was it was just a charmed period. You know, there was there was just you know maybe five to seven years in there that the people that were in the department and what was going on with him and his life and his performing career and everything. It was just an absolutely like just magical time for us yeah. all, and we had no idea. We like yes. it was, you looking back at it now you think, wow. That was that was really something else, you know. You Just, only know I mean, those everything... things in, in
1: retrospective,
0: right? Then yeah. I feel. I mean, every day, every single day, I think about how, how fortunate I was to to have been there at that time and, and, and that's, experienced that's, all of that. So that's a beautiful thing. But, John would be very happy to hear that. Yeah, hmm. I'm. I'm. I hope so. <laughs> so, right. so, what what are you what are you doing currently? What's what's newest and the latest and the greatest for you at, at the time to- at this time?
1: Well, it's, you know, as, as you, you know, for all of us, this is have been a time of no concert, <laughs> you know, only, only remote concerts, and I've had a yeah. few of those, and that's been enjoyable. But uh, I've turned my attention to recording, and um, there's a lot of recording going on, and I'm very excited about five recording projects that are going to happen over the next few years. Five. Oh, my gosh. Um, the first one is done, but it's being edited virtually as we speak. Uh, it's a recording of my uh, arrangement of uh, Franz Schubert's Die Schöne Müllerin.
0: Oh, fantastic!
1: The great song cycle, of 20 yeah. songs, um, one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, and it and it it works so beautifully. On the guitar, not without tremendous amount of difficulty, both in the arranging <laughs> and in some of the playing of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm very proud of my arrangement, which has been published by Presser. Oh, okay, fantastic! Presser. Uh, and I, I have done this cycle now a number of times uh, in concert with Michael Kelly, very very okay. fine young baritone. He's great. He's a great Schubert singer. Do you perform the entire cycle? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, awesome. It's, it's a full full evening concert, and yeah. um, it's, um, it's every time, it's just an extraordinary experience. And we wanted to record it for a long time, and finally we did in last fall, um, and we're very proud of it. We had one of the great uh, recording producers in the business, Judy Sherman— uh, do the recording for us, and uh, it'll, it'll, the album will be put out by Bright Shiny Things, ah. uh, very very wonderful new label. They're doing great stuff. Um, I love the name, <laughs> yeah, I know it's a great name, great company. And um, <clears throat> anyway, it's it's being edited. It probably will take till the fall to come out, but I'm very excited about that. The next project uh, will be recorded in early June, and it's an album of my compositions. uh, And these are my vocal chamber music compositions. And I chose four of what I consider to be some of my best music, four pieces. Uh, There's one short guitar and and baritone piece uh, to Emily Dickinson poems. There's a a piece for baritone and cello uh, based on some tzu texts. Uh, huh. translated into German interestingly enough huh. uh, in no time I tell you why but anyway we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Uh, I
0: think German is probably easier to deal with
1: than, than Mandarin
0: probably <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> probably yeah um, and uh, then there's a piece um, <clears throat> for tenor, violin oboe and piano uh, to Wendell Berry poems Wendell Berry is a great, oh. great contemporary nature poet um, and last but not least is a half-hour song cycle for soprano and piano to women's poems, mostly wow. Emily Dickinson again and Emily Bronte. Um, that's, that piece was from the mid-'80s and remains one of the best pieces oh, I wow. ever wrote. Yeah, it's a oh. really important piece of mine. And that piece actually it was originally a guitar piece. It's originally for, for high voice and guitar. Oh, um, but huh. the but I made a piano version, and I kind of prefer the piano version in some ways. So I wanted its first recording. What's the title? It's called Confiding. Okay. Confiding, yeah, and it's published, uh, as are all these pieces. Right. And um, yeah, so this album is coming out, and then there will be three solo albums that come oh out my gosh. Over, over several years. The, the first one is a 19th century album. Okay. Um, what are you playing? With, well, I have, let's see, I have two etudes by Giulio Regondi. speaking of John Holmquist, yeah. uh, etudes 6 and 8. Um, let's see, there's uh, some pieces by Leonard Schultz, very oh, little-known guitar composer for, uh, from that same era. Um, let's see, there's, uh, there's uh, several pieces from uh, Merz's Bardenklinger collection. Okay. I think three, I think I'm doing three pieces. Um, what am I missing? I'm not doing Machika on this particular album. Uh, sore, the couple of sore, sore studies. Okay. Uh, Giuliani, four pieces from um, Opus 148, Giuliani. Okay. That that includes one of Giuliani's best ever pieces, La Risoluzione. It's great piece. Huh. And I sort of took these four movements and made them into a little sonata. Because it kind of works. It's, it's sure. it works as a sonata, actually. Um, I wouldn't officially call it that, but it basically sure. is that. It is a sonata. Right. So um, anyway, that's and I, I think
0: absolutely in the spirit of muse making during the nineteenth century. I mean, there's yeah, there's, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they did those things. They did those things <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yes,
1: yes, that's including fantastic. outright stealing other composers' music. Yeah, absolutely. But um, more nineteenth-century yeah. guitar recordings, please. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, I mean, I consider myself a specialist in that repertoire, and uh, and you play on a modern instrument for all of that, right? I do. Yeah. I, I'm personally, I'm not drawn to the old instrument. Yeah. It just doesn't do much for me. But I, I love hearing other people people play. But... <laughs> oh, how diplomatic book. of you! <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, and then uh, after that, some well down uh, down the road from there, I think I'll do an an album of three sonatas uh, from different eras. I'll I'll stay mum about my choice of sonatas there. I want that to be a bit of a surprise. <laughs> and then after that, will be an album of uh, pieces that I've either commissioned or championed over the years. Uh, so there'll be some very interesting pieces on there, including some pieces that I'm currently commissioning. Uh, composers to write for me so so, uh, so five five
0: recording projects and one of, one of which is is in the finishing stages yes yes and all what, of them and can. what's what's the uh, what's the timeline here What how long is it going to take for all five of these to be brought into well, brought into it's life
1: a, it's a good question I'm not sure you know it takes a takes a while to get a, a solo recording really under your belt you know so I mean the the 19th century recording has been coming for a while so I'll record it probably late fall or early winter okay. um, then the other two I'm not sure I mean by the time I get to the last one the composition one it might be another four or five years before okay. that comes out you know and is this do you usually work that far
0: in advance on recordings no, yeah. no I don't I can't I mean I like I, I, I my brain wouldn't be able to handle it. (laughs) I'm thinking, you know, I've been really good to just like, what's next? Okay, one at a time. Great. You know, thank you. (laughs) I need a nap now. (laughs) This this is is a
1: special situation where it became possible for me financially to to make this happen. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I'm 67 years old. I I think it's the the time is now to do this stuff. Sure, sure. And this is, you know, as a composer, my legacy is my, my written music, but as a performer, the legacy is much more, um, what's the word, uh, evanescent, you know? Yeah, sure, you, sure Now sure. you see it, now you don't, you know? Right. I mean, even, you know, you can put it down in recording, but even recording, as we know, recording yeah, a media sure, changes all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I made my first recording, it was an LP. And then for so many years, it was CDs, and now I'm I think, making I think CDs. I have one
0: of my David Leisner 8-tracks in the
1: car. You know? <laughs>
0: eight track. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> You're almost a, as much of a dinosaur as me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm not as young as I might seem. I yeah. That's amazing. Wow,
1: 8-track, geez. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, I mean, I don't even know what form these recordings sure. are going to take because I don't know that anybody does. You know what? CDs are out the window now. Yeah. And I, I mean... I, was, yeah. When, every time I think about making one, I think, why am
0: I doing this? And it so much, so much of it is just habit. It's like, because this is what we've done and we yeah. continue to do what we've done and I've gotten better at it, which, you know, that's that's the stinky part is like, I've gotten better at it and now people don't listen to CDs anymore and they don't buy CDs. You know, it's... Yeah. it's Yeah. Everything's yeah. streaming and, yeah, I and like the whole how do we release these things get them to market and you know pr on that and and a friend of mine who's who's very very on the like leading edge of the recording industry um at least as as relates to the midwest is concerned Mm -hmm.
1: um you know and he he
0: doesn't do much with classical musicians so it's a little bit different world for him but I mean, in the pop music world, they they don't even make albums anymore. Practically, it's you know, it's all about the singles and and the marketing that goes along with that, and when it's going to be released, and there's a whole system that they have in place for this, and and it's just that well, makes that, me feel old. I don't understand half of it anyway. And then you know, this is yeah. this is how the music business is working, and and I just wonder, you know, is there anybody in the classical music world that is that is really on that? You
1: know I, I, mean? I think there, I think there are in the youngest yeah. generation. I think so. Yeah. Um, I certainly feel your pain on this subject. Uh, <laughs> I really do, and uh, and I don't even know. You know, I'm calling them albums now. Right. I don't know by the time I get to the last one, when, when it, whether an album will be at all viable. It may be complete right. a complete dinosaur by that time. Yeah. So maybe I'll need to release it as you know. Uh, 12 different EPs or whatever they'll be calling them at that point. Um, you know, so who I'm knows? I'm predicting you're going to have some stunning
0: music videos on YouTube.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: Or TikTok, or I don't know. Or like, who I, knows I, by then. I, yeah, right? I just can't. I can't get a handle on it. It's, it's, well, it's, it's, And
1: it all moves so fast, and it's it, moving yeah. faster and faster now. The rate of, of uh, speed, of, of movement with this stuff right. is Crazy, and uh, I I wish that it wouldn't move so fast because I think sometimes that fast, that overly fast uh, progress, so to speak, uh, is not for the benefit of the quality of the product. I, yeah I think I it's better Absolutely. to do it move things slowly and take stock of what you're doing figure out what's good, what isn't good and then move right. to the next thing before jumping to the next thing before you figured out the previous thing <laughs> right
0: yeah, yeah yeah and it's it's interesting too I, I can't say that I do this as a matter of course but there have been instances where because I know that a, the, the, the recording is is not ever going to be listened to in a, in a high fidelity situation, you know mm. that it's going to be an MP3 that somebody's streaming over their phone. Yeah, you know, I think that that has to influence how carefully you are with the production process. You know, like why should I go to the, all this effort to make this sound so very good when that's going to be lost in the noise, literally? You know, well, the,
1: these um, these are questions we all and that must. Is sad. With. It is sad. <laughs> it is sad. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and we, I don't know. I guess we just need to go with the flow, yeah. and that's fine. But I do think that we need to advocate um, uh, going for as good a sound as is possible in whatever new mediums come up, uh, because I think it will be easy to go for convenience over quality. Right, there's always um, a lot of tension, isn't there? Yeah. There is, and you know, more and more people are excited about the the medium you know more than the content right. and the medium is very exciting that's all very exciting stuff but yeah we've got it i mean in terms of classical music good sound is what it's all about so you know if you just go to crummy sound <laughs> just to be able to have the convenience of listening it to it in your car or yeah. on your you know on your iphone on your headphones whatever i, I it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Unfortunate. Yeah, no, You have it. to find a balance, like you
0: said. It's a balance. So, so speaking of recordings, Yes. Um, you made, you made a, a, a guitar and cello recording project with Zool Bailey a couple yes. years ago. Yes. I went to high school with Zool Bailey. Oh my
1: goodness, I'll have to tell him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he, was, he was a couple years younger than me, and actually I played violin in, in the school orchestra with him wow which is is just tremendous you know and and when when you guys released that 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 record and and the you know I saw the promotional materials for it and one i i was I was blown away I just thought oh my gosh this is So fantastic, and and to watch his career blossom and and has just been something else. I mean, what he was he was an amazing player when he was in in, freshman in high school. I'm sure he was. And 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 just to see how you know, just see how that that's happened, and then yeah, like I just like hey, I know him.
1: (laughs) Uh, zool is a spectacular talent, just one of the great cellists in the world. Did you tour with him? Uh, well, I wouldn't call it a tour, but we did do a number of festivals together. We uh, did quite a bit of performance together. And with Zool, everything is is a project. So, right. you know, he wanted to turn this into a project where we'd have a bunch of concerts together and then culminate it with the recording. And then it was done, basically. Okay, right. Zool's right. a busy he's guy. On. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> the busiest, one of the busiest musicians I know. You know, yeah. but pre, pre-pandemic, he was gone I don't know 300 days of the year he oh, was uh, touring fantastic. unbelievable it's a great success story so you know he wanted to do this project and then okay move on so that's what right. happened but it was his idea he came to you and said hey I need I well, need well guitarist <laughs> we were we were put together at the Santa Fe Chamber festival uh, okay. a number of years ago I don't remember when um, and um, It was, you know, a few years before the recording. And uh, we played uh, played some things together and just really hit it off. And he said to me, you know, I've always wanted to do the Arpeggione Sonata, the Schubert Arpeggione, with guitar. I said, I can't believe you're saying this. I said, (laughs) I love that piece, and I've always wanted to make another arrangement of it. There are arrangements that exist, but I feel like I can do it better. So... He said, great, you're on, let's do it. So, you know, I, I took, as I did with De Schoenermüller, I took a lot of time sweating over this arrangement. I mean, it's <laughs> 20 minutes of Schubert, and, yeah. you know, that piece isn't easy on the piano either, and it's right. certainly not easy on the guitar, but um, uh, it, it was phenomenal to do that piece with him because he feels very close to that piece. Yeah he plays the hell out of that piece. Yeah. And the combination of the two of us for that was just heaven for both of us. Oh, then we just basically filled out the album with other other things. You know. <laughs> <laughs> did you
0: write anything for that? For that I
1: did, yes I did. I wrote a piece called Twilight Streams, which is on that album, oh, uh, which I'm very proud of. And uh, he, he loved it, found it very challenging and very different from anything he'd played before. And, so yeah, that was the other Exciting. kind of bigish piece on the album. and Then everything else was sort of encore pieces. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I had I, I had to mention
0: that because yeah, that's just a you know so that's a real small world kind of, I love kind of kind of thing for me. Yeah, so it's great. fantastic. Great, and you know I one of the things that I, that that I've kind of set myself as a goal for for this podcast is to talk to people. Who come from populations that might be considered not straight white men, right. <laughs> such as myself. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I don't like to use the term marginalized, because it's to me it sounds, it sounds, I don't know, it's it it doesn't sound like it's helping, you know? Um, but it seems to be the one of the words you jour. You know, and it is absolutely true. Yeah. It's
1: true. Yeah, um, it's true, absolutely right.
0: And and if, if you'd be comfortable kind of talking about your experience over the years and, and how things have changed, how things might not have changed, um, you know, the good, bad, the ugly, whatever, you know, just if just to give somebody like me some perspective
1: on, on that. I'm very comfortable talking. I'm yeah. very comfortable talking about it. Um, I, uh, as a gay man, uh, I've been gay much of my life. I mean, I probably was gay since... The- almost the time I was born, uh, but actively gay. You know, there was a a time uh, in my teens and early 20s when I dated women, and then there was a time when I dated both men and women. Um, And then there was a time when I was exclusively gay, but recognizing that part of me is bisexual, as I think is often true with many, many people. I believe that there's a a spectrum for what it's worth. Sure, there's sure, a spectrum sure. along which, uh, you know, there's different uh, percentages, so to speak. Most people are maybe 90% one and 10% the other, or sure. 61 and 40 the other, or some people are 50-50 bisexual, and that's what it is, you know. Um, for me, I I think I'm, I've discovered I'm predominantly gay, but I definitely have a strong straight side to me too. Um, And in a way, that's kind of helped me um, propel myself into the mainstream world as a person and as a musician, uh, because I think it's much, much harder for, say, an effeminate man or a very masculine woman um, who are gay uh, to to make it in the world or to be recognized or to be appreciated or to be loved. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, and of course, these things, these problems, these issues have lessened a great deal in recent times, um, although um, the pro- they have not vanished by any by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Um, so, I have a lot to say on this subject. So I hope you don't mind my just. Oh, I'm I'm, okay. I'm all ears. I'm all okay. ears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. Um, you know, as a, as a musician, I honestly did not feel that it held me back very much. Um, I did have a sense more in the earlier years of my career that there was definitely discrimination and that there was talk behind my back. Right. Uh, I, I had that sense. Um, whether I lost any concerts over it or lost any teaching jobs, I don't. I'm not aware of it, but it might have might have been there. I don't know. It definitely was a possibility. But again, as a more straight acting gay man, I suffered less than many people in that regard. Um, and I think, as is probably true of most gay people. There are stages of coming out. Of course, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was um, out to myself, at least at least as a bisexual uh, in high school, but was struggling with it a lot. Sure. Um, <clears throat> by the time and, I got... Nobody my- talked about that then. Hardly anybody. It yeah. was very taboo. Yeah. Very yeah. taboo subject. Because we're talking about late 60s, early 70s. Right. You know?
0: I mean, yeah, I was school um, in, the, in the 80s, and it, it still was... Even know, then. Even then, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, by the time I was a junior in in college, that when I returned from my year with Duart, uh, by then, I was much more out. Um, and I... Um, I was out to many more people. In fact, I had a, a wonderful heart-to-heart conversation about it with Duart and his wife, Dora, oh um, which was interesting. Uh, and That was c- quite helpful, actually. Um, so I became more and more out. I was more out to my students by the time I started commuting from New York to teach in Boston at the New England Conservatory. That was around 1980. Uh, by 1980, I was beginning to be pretty, pretty out, pretty, pretty open. Um, and then I would say by mid '80s, I was completely out. Just I didn't hold it back from anybody, and I didn't think it needed to be held back from anybody. Right. Now um, I met uh, the man who is currently my husband. Uh, forty years ago this month. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. We've been uh, uh, really a dream couple for forty years. I mean, uh, we are. You know, many people consider us one of the one of the strongest couples they, they know, and and we we know that we're we're confident of our relationship, and it's. I'm very 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 fortunate that I found my true soulmate so for early me. in life, or if at all. When um, <coughs> excuse me. And because of, um, because of that, it gave me much more strength to be out. Because I think right. it's much harder to be out if you have any doubts about it. It's harder to be out if you're not with somebody that makes right. you feel secure, that makes you feel whole. Right. So um, because of that, I think, the already in the mid-80s, I was comfortable to be very out. At the same time... Um, there were many things against us. I mean, when I came out, for instance, as a junior in college, uh, I uh, was one of the leaders of, the, of a gay group there, which had a lot of pushback. Even at a mm-hmm. liberal institution mm-hmm. like Wesleyan, there was a lot right. of pushback, a lot of discrimination. And um, and it wasn't easy. Um, in 1983, domestic partnership became available. It became a legal thing. So um, Ralph and I had been, Ralph is my husband, Ralph and mm-hmm. I uh, went uh, to City Hall in New York to register as domestic partners. And there's a very funny oh, thing that happened domestic. at that time. We, we lined up. Uh, you know for the window where they right. gave us this certificate <laughs> in front of us were two older Chinese men oh, and they did not look like they belonged in this line and sure enough when they when they went over <laughs> to the window the person behind the window said oh business partnership window is over there <laughs> oh my gosh it was so funny <laughs> 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 anyway, so so the domestic partnership thing was was real, nineteen eighty three. I think we still have our certificate. It meant absolutely nothing. Nothing, right. It was, nothing. Just, was that just a New York state thing? I think it was, although yeah. I think it was available in a number of states at the right. time. But that's I, you know, started. again, like everything, it sort of happened at different times. But it happened in New York in eighty three. Meant nothing. 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 <laughs> zero. But it was a piece of paper that we could bring out if there was any doubt about whatever, and it either helped or it didn't. I mean, most of <laughs> the time it didn't. Happen. So we did not get married until it was legal to be married in New York. And again, right. this happened at different states at different times. Um, I'm not even sure, I think the year was 2011. Either eleven or twelve. <laughs> I think it was twenty eleven. <laughs> See, by that time we'd been together. It was 2011. Of course. We'd yeah. been together for thirty years. It was like an right. afterthought, yeah. you know. Of course. Like yeah, yeah well, of course we're husbands, you know. Right. We'd been calling each other husbands the whole time, but that's just you know so almost like a joke, especially with right. gay people. You talk about your husband, and it had really had no legal meaning until right. that right. time, but all of a sudden, it did have meaning, and we we got married officially. Did not have a big wedding. In fact, all we did was had a dinner with three couple friends and and uh, just celebrated very quietly. But um, all of a sudden in my life, I noticed a difference. Interesting. And I, and I want to tell you what the difference is. I mean, there there is first of all a financial difference, yes. major difference, because. Um, uh, when you file income taxes and you file as a married couple, uh, there can be major financial benefits. Absolutely. Uh, and in a way, I feel like the IRS owes us a lot of back pay because <laughs> we were husbands long before it was legalized, and we could have saved so much money. You know. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the financial thing is big. Yeah. Another big thing is um, hospital. If you're in a if your your husband, your partner, whoever that person is, uh am I s I I'm I'll talk about the word partner in a second. I, I mean <laughs> your spouse. If your spouse yeah, yeah, yeah. is in the, the hospital, you cannot see them if you're not their spouse. Right. Um and even if they're deathly ill, it doesn't matter How much that person means to you or you to them, if you are not legally their spouse, they will not let you see them under certain circumstances. So that plus all the other kinds of things, you know, beyond a spouse's death and so on and so forth. We're talking many, many, many valuable legal details. But I want to tell you that the most meaningful aspect to me of being legally married is the word husband. Yeah, because when you use that single word husband it solves many problems in a split second I'll give you an example when I went to China on tour a few years ago, the Chinese culture is not a culture that is very open to homosexual behavior let mm-hmm. alone gay marriage right. um, And I knew what I was going into. Um, And I unashamedly and unhesitantly used the word husband and I used it often. (laughs) When they asked me about my life in New York, I talked about my husband. And what you saw in that moment when I used that word and what I see often whether it's in China or the US or anywhere else, is an instant recognition. Oh, you're gay. Oh, you're married. Well, I guess that's like me being married. Right. That's right. fine. And right. all of a sudden, there was there was no stuff It's a
0: non-issue. It. It's, it's, it's a it's non-issue. A non-issue. Issue.
1: Yeah. You've just yeah. eliminated the issue by one word. And mm-hmm. not just that you use the word like we used to pre-legal right. marriage, we used it because it has legal backing, and that requi- that um, elicits a certain respect. Right. And that respect, that dignity, that immediate understanding is everything. Yeah, yeah. So I and Ralph, I'm, I am we are very grateful for that.
0: Delightful, or delighted for you. I just think that's, that's just fantastic, you know. Thank you. And... and and I think you know some of the things that you were you were talking about, I think about all of the just centuries, really, not not just decades, but centuries where people were not permitted to be like that. And, oh my God and, and all the lives that that and all the energy that was wasted, and it's 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 tremendous, you know, and we like like you said, we still have still have some distance to cover. I think we still have a long we, way to go. We still and I, do. I, and we still from my do. point of view, it's a civil rights issue. It absolutely it is. is 100% a civil rights issue. And it is,
1: it is. We share this yeah. with, with black people and brown people yeah. and Asian people. We do, yeah. it, it, it is a common issue. And, and yes, we still have far to go. It wasn't all that long ago that Ralph and I were walking down uh, Broadway in New York City Holding hands as we have done for decades in New York, we were among the first people to do that in New York, and um, we were holding hands. And you, you know, we often used to get a very mixed response. Some people would look at us with a dirty eye, and others people would right. smile, and you know, many different different responses. Everything though. in between. <laughs> Everything in between, and yeah. and it got grew more and more positive as time went on. But it wasn't all that long ago. We were walking along. And hand in hand, and somebody passed us and spit on us. That's horrible. So, that's you know, horrible. that's horrible. But then you think about the stuff you're talking about, which was when people were killed for it, yeah. when people were tortured for it, when people, you know, lost jobs because of it, etc., etc. I mean, you know, we're disgraced for it. Look at Alan Turing, and yeah. and you know, and so many lives ruined because of it. The spitting is nothing, but <laughs> nothing. But you know, in the context of today, you, it makes you realize, wow, there's still work to be done. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Is is there anything
0: particular about your experience in the guitar world? That that has relevance as as far as as this is concerned, you know. I I think, you know, and I hate I hate to be so stereotypical about it, but the, I think the guitar has kind of like a macho, um, totally hyper masculine kind of totally image.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. Um,
0: and totally. you know, it, I've been in environments where guitarists were really popular because it was assumed that they weren't gay. Yes.
1: That's, <laughs> that's, you, you hit no. the nail on the head. You really did. It's, um, I mean, what you just said was perfect, Carl, and and it, it's absolutely right. There is no question that the guitar world is very macho in general. I mean, maybe less so now, beginning to be less so, but there is a strong macho thing. There's a strong chauvinistic thing going on, um, and now it's covered by an awareness. You know that people want to be want not to be that way, but sometimes still remain that way, even though they would prefer not to be that way. Um, There is a lot of that going on in the guitar world. There's no question about it. Um, But I do think that as time goes on, it will get more and more sensitive, and and just better balanced. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I really do believe that. I think you know that. That the um, the hopeful the hopefulness is in the youngest generation, uh, okay. who yeah. are much less um, weighted down with these kinds yeah. of prejudices and these kinds of uh, examples and experiences. Right, um, right. So that's where where I think the hope is. Yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, that's. Yeah, I've always I've always wondered wondered about about that because you know I'd like, it's not. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there are far more people um, than I know. Yes, you know who who are guitarists and and are are, are somewhere on that spectrum, and and uh, exactly. you know it's just it, but it's it, it just this this assumption that you know that they're a rarity, and I I, that, I don't I don't know how that that could be, you know, and uh, yeah,
1: and you know, yeah. talk about also, you know, there's, there's a double whammy with black people. For example, right. or even some his well not less with well less with Hispanics. <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, the gay thing in the black culture is very right. difficult to come right. by, very difficult to reckon with. And if there are gay black guitarists around as few black guitarists as there are, that would be a huge hurdle to overcome. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I I suspect there are and. And I think that um, these these things need to be dealt with and with the greatest sensitivity, Absolutely. Uh, because they have enough trouble in their own non-musical community. It has a right. lot to do, I think, with with church upbringing and uh, and uh, the the problems that that the church often has with certain churches, <clears throat> certain people within certain churches. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's and, definitely
0: a cultural thing. You know, as I understand it, you know, I, I, shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't really be talking with a voice of any kind of authority on this matter. But uh, you know, that's from what I've I've learned. It seems like yeah, there's there's this, this huge cultural thing that that uh, you know has been very difficult for f- folks to deal with. You know, it,
1: it is very very difficult, and and we just all need to be so much more sensitive and and not um, have the. The expectation that somebody is straight, or expectation right. that somebody's gay, or expectation that somebody's anything—anything, right? Just yeah. be open yeah, to whoever they are and embrace it. You yeah. know, right? Yeah. Embrace yeah. it. So, well, thank you for talking about that. That's uh, that's really it's my good. pleasure. Thank you for asking about it yeah. and no, asking about no, it no, so no. sensitively.
0: I, well, I, <laughs> I think that's I think it's important. I think it's it's really important, and I think you know. One of the things that I look at in terms of the arts world and 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 being an artist, um, I think I think historically, if if you look at what artists have done socially, you know they always tend to be at the vanguard of of social movements. Mm. And and it's not to say that we all have to be these. I, I don't use the word crusaders, but uh, like. We don't have to be. We don't have to have to be fervent activists, right? But I, I do think, as as an artist, if, if if you consider that that that's part of our role in society, you know, making people a little, a little uncomfortable is is part of it because it makes them question their their attitudes and their perceptions. Absolutely. Um, challenging them, you know, but at the same time providing beauty and and, and these things. Um, but I I, I think. I think, you know, we're, we have, I don't want to say responsibility, but we have responsibility there. You know, I think it's, 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 it's part of our function in society to help help do that.
1: I think so. I think as musicians, especially, we can, we have a, a special tool. It's a nonverbal tool that yeah. we have to to bridge gaps, to bridge distances between people. And um, I think we should use it. Absolutely, effectively as we can. Absolutely,
0: that's that's fantastic. <laughs> so, we should probably wrap up. I don't want to take up any any more of your your precious time. Um, but is there anything else that uh, that we should should go over or talk about?
1: Not really. Uh, uh, okay. I'm so pleased that we covered such a wide variety of subjects, and uh, I'm I'm just thrilled that you asked me to do this and.
0: Yeah, uh, thank I you.
1: Hope that people have enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And I'll, 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 of course, I'll, 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 be in touch when everything gets gets rolling, and 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 we'll we'll be releasing it so you can you can put your PR machine into 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 full effect and, and <laughs> let folks know about it. Um, and I would love to have you back sometime in the future if you if you'd want to you. do that. And, thank you. Uh, I love it. So. Yeah. But I really appreciate your time and, and and your insights, and and actually not just today, but but spanning back over the the, the time that I've known you, and uh, lots of inspiration there. And I, okay. I always feel great whenever whenever uh, we interact. So <laughs> I appreciate Me that.
1: Me too. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, David. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carl. Take good care. Good you to see too. you. This
0: is Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook.